Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. All right, well, good morning, North Shore. Good, good, good. I'm Lead Pastor Scott Harris, and uh, it is a joy and a treat to be here. I want to start off this time with a, a bit of my own announcement, and that is regarding a, a voyage to a better marriage. Some of you may have seen this beginning to be advertised, and what it is is uh, uh, Sandy and myself will be teaching um, just uh, some things that God has laid on our heart over our 33 years of marriage. Uh, we learned through the scripture um, on a cruise from Seattle to Alaska in April. I don't know if there's a slide that'll pop up here that'll look for it, um, but it's online and you can at the next step table find out about it. But I would love all of you to join us. Um, and if you know anybody, it's not limited to just North Shore, whoever wants to come. Uh, and just really, uh, whether your marriage is one in crisis, um, whether you just want to tune it up or you just want to go have a great time together in Alaska, this cruise is for you and we'll have an amazing time together. So for information, check our website out, uh, out at Next Steps tables. Uh, we have some flyers and able to answer more questions, okay? So let's take a voyage to a better marriage together. Um, online, I'm glad you are here, glad all of you are here. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, and when you get that Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter one. We are continuing our series, uh, week two of the life of David, a passionate pursuit of God. Uh, let me pray over us. If, if you need a Bible, again, you can keep your eyes open and your hand raised, that's okay. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you, you're good. I, I pray that you would speak to us now. Uh, that we would learn more about this amazing life of David um, and that you would draw us closer to you uh, in this journey of learning about David. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as we look at the life of David, Acts 13, 22, uh, gives him this incredible uh, description and of who he is. It's a unique description. Uh, and it says this, that he is a man after God's own heart. Imagine that being said about you. Put your name in there, after God's own heart. Right? And so you look at this, um, David's after the knowledge and understanding of God's heart. So when we look at his life, we're going to learn more about the heart of God, who God is. We're also gonna learn something that we can relate to. It says a man after God's own heart. You know, David, some of you know pieces and parts of his story. If you don't know, he is very, very human. There are high highs and low lows, everything in between, much like our story. And so we can connect and understand and relate what a passionate pursuit of God looks like in a real human experience. And so my prayer over you is that you be drawn into a passionate pursuit of God as we learn about the life of David. Now, uh, this week's message and next week's message are prequels, right? They're kind of the story before the story, you know? Kind of like the Star Wars series, you know, how when I was a kid, Star Wars came out, yes, and all of a sudden, boy, there's a story before this, and um, uh, David's like that, right? And so we're gonna uh, look at Hannah and Samuel today. Next week, we're going to look at Saul. But all these things um, is God setting, establishing a foundation um, 
to launch David, his calling, his life, and his ultimate place in the redemptive story, the salvation of all of us. And so that's why we're starting here. We'll get and talk a lot more about David uh, in three weeks. Um, but these stories are really, really important as we understand what's going on. Because in Matthew 7, we are told spiritually um, a foundation is essential. It will define and shape your spiritual house. True? You know from building, right? You have a bad foundation, guess what? You have a bad building. No matter how hard you work and make a good building, bad foundation, bad building. So as we look at David and this role he has in God's redemptive story, what's really important is a great foundation. In the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about those foundations, those sure foundations. So we're gonna look at Hannah. I've called this message a dedicated one because you're gonna see that in this story, uh, the dedication of her child, Samuel, uh, really sets the foundation, but it starts with Hannah. So uh, let's look at, uh, at Hannah's story. First Samuel chapter one. First Samuel chapter one. And uh, we're gonna look at a bride's brokenness. And before I begin to read uh, some of the text, I want a little foundation of what's happened here, okay? In Hannah's time, it is an ancient tribal Israel. So they came out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness with Moses. Joshua took over. They entered in the promised land of Canaan, of Israel, and the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were a tribal nation at this time. And they were led loosely by judges. God was their lead, and these judges were uh, the best description I can give. It's kind of like a pastor just guiding you to God, right? Um, and that's what these judges did, and that's how they led the nation of Israel. Now, this is a time that civil war between the tribes had broken out. So they're fighting with each other. They're fighting with other nations. Uh, the Philistines, um, uh, they are attacking them, and they are an enemy that, you know, wins a lot of battles with them, and we'll see that through David's story. But it's also a spiritually weak time, very weak. And this is why you see God setting um, David's life, uh, life up, excuse me, with setting a foundation uh, and establishing this foundation that we'll see in Hannah and ultimately Samuel. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 1, and we'll try to get through some of these uh, Hebrew uh, regions and town names. Okay, you with me? Verse 1, 1 Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. A point I forgot to say is Shiloh is kind of like Jerusalem is today for them and the Jews. It's the center piece of worship. So when they came into the land, the promised land, uh, they set the tabernacle, right, which ultimately became the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the centerpiece for Jewish worship in Shiloh, okay? And this is all kind of around Jerusalem, so in that general area if you are a map person, okay? Uh, where the two sons of Hophini and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. 
Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? So as this starts, so what we see is we, we see Hannah and her brokenness, right? She is barren, okay? Infertile. She can't have children. And that creates uh, incredible deep brokenness and pain for her. You know, there's cultural pain at first. In this time, uh, as a woman, if you could not bear a child, bear a son for your husband, the tag is you were worthless. It wasn't, it's a patriarchal time, not a great time to be a woman. Praise God, that is not the cultural uh, norm today. Um, but just to understand what's going on and what's happening, she has deep cultural pain and brokenness because she cannot fulfill the role she is to have in the family legacy because it was the first sons who actually took care of the family, who were given double portion of the inheritance to lead the family, the whole household. So not just one group, the whole household, right? And so she grieved and was broken over this. But we can tell if you look at the story of Hannah, there's great personal pain as well. That Hannah wanted a child. She wanted to be a mom. She wanted to be a mother desperately. When I was a youth pastor, I remember, um, you know, I'd talk to kids. Every uh, end of school year, you'd begin to talk about what college. And kids would come to the youth pastor and say, you just counsel them, right? I cannot tell you how many times a young lady would come into my office and we'd be talking about what college. And she'd say, Scott, it's usually dad, just so you know, I'm going here, okay? But mom's too. So I'm going to use the phrase dad. Dad wants me to be an engineer. Uh, Dad says I'm great at math. I just want to be a mom. I just want to be a mom. That's all I want to do, right? And so uh, it is deep-seated. And people, and for Hannah, we see that there's a real personal pain for her in this. Now, she has support in this journey, right? Elkanah, her husband, is a faithful man. I mean, just think the sheer fact that he is still going to the tabernacle, Shiloh, to worship in a time that, I mean, they, you heard Sanjay say it, and you'll, you'll learn about it more next week. They, they lost the ark. They were so scattered and not focused and not focused on God. But here is this man, this husband, that was faithful uh, to the Lord. He's a good man. He loves Hannah says it a couple times in, in this text, in this section. He loves her. Um, he tries to help her. Um, so when you would go up to uh, give your sacrifice and your offering, there's multiple offerings. One was the peace offering. And what you do is in the peace offering, you'd bring your sacrifice, 
uh, they would burn it and you know the good parts the fats and certain body parts would go to the lord right first fruits um and then um then they would take the other parts. You'd go to the priest and would go to family members and anyone that you wanted to have a meal. It was a volunteer thing you'd do and it was really about spiritual community. And it was reflected in a few things. You could be praising God for his faithfulness, um, talking about a, a commitment, a vow that you have, something that you are str- struggling with, that you need his peace. Um, and so it really was about spiritual fellowship. And what Elkanah was doing is says, we're okay. We're okay. You're okay. Because it says he gave her a double portion. Some of your translations said that he gave her a worthy portion. Right? Here's a worthy portion to you. You're okay. We're okay. And then he pulls a, a, a man stunt. Okay, verse 8, if you're looking at their text. <laughs> uh, so he decides he's going to try to encourage her. Like, why are you so sad? Because she can't even eat. So she, the piece, she can't even eat. Why are you so sad? Why is your heart sad, right? I tell you what, I was thinking about that phrase. Um, something just kills me. If Sandy, my wife, was right there, if her heart is ever sad, ah, oh, it's crushing to me. So, so heartbreaking to see her. I, I don't like it. I think he's in the same way. He loves his wife, and her heart is sad. And he says, uh, aren't I worth 10 sons to you? Right, I mean, and, and bless his heart, right? <laughs> guys, um, guys, how many times have you tried to fix it and you put that big old foot right in your mouth, right? Um, so um, uh, Elkanah's choking a little bit here, trying to, you know, he, uh, again, his heart's good. Guys, our hearts are usually good, aren't they? The women, they don't buy it, we promise, okay? Uh, we mean well. Um, uh, he, he didn't fully understand, right? Because she was broken. She was in what we call a dark night of the soul. A dark night of the soul. And this is a phrase coined from a 16th century priest named uh, St. John of the Cross. And St. John of the Cross decided that uh, uh, religion and all the exercises really was not where a pursuit of God was. It was a personal, passionate pursuit of God um, and caring and loving people. And the um, religious structure of the land got mad and angry at him, and they threw him in prison. A prison with no windows. And in there, uh, this dark night of the soul, there was, he felt this sense of abandonment, right? This time of not understanding, like, what's happening? Is this really going on? in a time of asking the question, why me? Why am I going through this? I was faithful to you, God. I was pressing in and pursuing you, trying to bring people toward you. And here I am in a dark night of the soul. He wrote an amazing poem, uh, had some different writings, powerful. You can look it up and read those things. Um, He was in a dark night of the soul. Hannah is in a dark night of the soul. What draws us to these dark nights of the souls, you know? It's these times of wanting. Not not a basic wanting, but a deep soul longing, dreaming, maybe even a calling. You feel like God has said something to you and you want this from a soul 
level. It comes from a time of waiting. Look at Hannah. It says year after year. Did you catch that? This isn't just a snapshot event. This is year after year after year. And the longer you wait, it compounds that pain. It hurts more. It sinks deeper. And in that journey of pain, you experience other elements of pain around it. For Hannah, every year, she had to go up to Shiloh for worship. If you remember Jesus' story, early in his life, there was a time that he was lost at 12, and they found him in the temple teaching. Beautiful story. His parents lost him for three days, uh, but it was in one of these annual festival pilgrimages that they did, much like what Hannah is doing every year. They go, the whole family goes. So what happens is Hannah, year after year, has to see these kids and these families. There's Barbara, she's got three more kids. It's only 12 months, I'm not sure how she did that, but wow. Right, you know, it just feels that way. Oh boy, they're laughing. In these dark moments, boy, their child's crying, they look frustrated. I would give anything to hold a crying child right now. So she had to live that reminder all the time, year after year. And then she had Penina poking at her, right? Her rival, her sister wife, if you want to call her that. So, you know, basically, look what I've got. I'm fulfilling my bridal duties. And she poked, it says, just to irritate her. So she sounds like a stinker, uh, right? And just a, a stinker uh, to a place that just grieves Hannah. So she has this reminder. So this time of waiting hurts. Someone waiting for a child goes through a miscarriage, stillbirth. That is a painful, painful reminder. I, I feel abandoned, I can't have a child. It hurts. I've known some people have had 10 miscarriages and it just compounds. That hurts, builds, it builds, and it builds, and it takes us, it can draw us into a dark night of the soul. You know, this world, the father of this world, Satan loves to use what he has at his disposal, right? Uh, to draw us into dark nights of the soul. And in our world, uh, Romans 8, 22 says, all the world groans at the weight of sin, all creation. And so these things, with the, it's our body, people around us, um, these things just groan at the weight of sin. And the pain of sin can drag us into these dark nights of the soul. And that's where Hannah's at. She is a bride that is broken. But when I keep going with her stories, how does she respond? How does she respond? St. John of the Cross, when he's in that prison in his dark night of the soul, uh, he takes a lesson from Hannah. He responds like Hannah does. And I've intentionally titled this section, A Woman's Faith. Right? What he does in that moment is he, or she, he and she actually look for God. Because here's the thing, and why I put a woman's faith, because in a dark night of the soul in these experiences, only you are going through it. 
Now we need support and we should never be alone. That's important. But guess what? It's still you going through it. It's still you that has to make a choice and, and, and how to put that foot in front of the other and walk through these uh, moments in time. And so this is about Hannah's faith. Does she have faithful people around her? Yes. But this is about a woman's faith. And as we talk about these, and his uh, pain wakes up in you, right? Um, oh, Neil, I'm talking to you personally. I want God to speak to you personally. And my prayer is people will gather and care and love you, but I understand it's only you. And so we see with Hannah, we see Hannah's faith. And so uh, what does she do? So she's there in a dark night of the soul. They're at the peace offering, eaten in this great um, faith-filled celebration. Uh, and she does this in verse 9. After they had eaten, and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and she was deeply distressed, right, dark night of the soul, and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. What we see in that whole text is she, she, she gets up. She can't eat. She gets up, and she goes. I'm not sure where she, she goes, but she goes into a space, uh, and she prays. See, here's what Hannah knew. Hannah knew her here, H-E-R-E, here. And it's the first step when we are in a dark night of the soul, we have to understand our here. And just to give you a little picture of it, you've all been to a, a mall and you go to the little kiosk that has the map and it says, you are here, right? Um, well, there's one season Sandy and I took the girls on a vacation to Edmonton Mall, at that time the biggest mall in the world. Um, and we went to this mall and it's, it's huge, you know, and we're just people from Little Town, right? From Colville and then East Sound, Washington, not big. And now we're in a mall that can fit both cities inside. And we're doing this thing. Um, I get lost one day. I was supposed to go, I'm sure, get food or something and come back because our hotel was right in the mall. In fact, this, we got down, we're there seven days. We got in the car to go to the airport and said, whoa, we haven't been outside in seven days. I mean, this is a, like a, a world that's included. It's like, that was a little weird. But um, I get lost in all these lands and things, and um, I finally find one of those kiosks, right? And that little red thing that says, you are here, right? What I knew is I was not going to find my way back to that hotel. I couldn't do it. I needed a guide, something to say, okay, you're here right now, and here's the path. We're going to guide you back, Scott. You can bring the pizza, whatever I was doing. Um, see, Hannah knew her here. Her here was a place that only God, only God. She couldn't fix it. She couldn't just muster up enough strength. She knew only God. And then she allowed that to inspire her next move. And she got up from that table and she went toward God and expressed her faith in prayer. She went to him in prayer. Now, was it a prayer full of tears? Yes, I can only imagine the magnitude of her grief. Had to been incredible. And you can see scripture is trying to give us words to say, this is a grief that's almost uncomfortable to see, right? 
and she is praying to him. See, she knew her here, and that here inspired her to go toward God, because only he could do something, so that she could be with him, that she can hear from him, so that he can do only what he can do. See, what prayer does, Scripture tells us, it gives us confidence. James 5 tells us prayer is powerful. So we can understand we are talking to God, a God that can do something, only him. Prayer gives us wisdom. You know, in the backdrop of this story, there are so many choices, right? When someone's struggling with infertility, miscarriages, there's a, there's a, you know, a, we're gonna walk this path. We're going to adopt. We are going to foster. We're gonna be a big brother or sister. You know, there's different, there's lots of wisdom you need. You want God's wisdom in that. James 1 t- tells us that we get wisdom f- from God and he gives it uh, generously when we go to him. Philippians 4, when we pray, we get peace. The peace of God, a peace that the world cannot offer you. Only God. That's what Hannah did. Her fate took her toward God so she can be with him, so she can hear from him, so he can do what only he can do. And in that moment, we see her faith expressed in a vow. She makes a vow. She's praying to him, wanting a son, wanting a child. She says, I will vow this vow to you. I will dedicate him to the Lord all of his life. And he'll raise herself, touch his hair. What she's doing is, uh, this is an expression of faith. Um, Is there a bartering with God? I was really wrestling with this. Uh, If there was, it's the minimum part. Because here, I think this is an expression of faith. Because in the Jewish culture, the firstborn son was always offered as a first fruit for the Lord. Remember when Jesus' parents went to the temple to present Jesus? It was because it was their first son. That's what you did. Because he had great spiritual responsibilities. And so you came and you dedicated him to the Lord. Now there's another gear you could shift. You know, that generally a person did this. Uh, this time a mom did that. It's called the Nazarite vow in scripture. It's like a super commitment. No drink will touch your, your mouth or uh, fermented drink. No uh, dead body. Uh, don't cut your hair. But it's a super commitment to the Lord. She says, I'm going to give this up. I will fulfill this. I will fulfill it to the fullest extent. I will live my life by faith. And she dedicates this child that she's asking for. And and so for her, and then she goes on as this starts to end, I think it's in verse 16. As you look there, something happens that's important to understand and expression of her faith. Because she's praying in their biddler, Eli, the priest at Shiloh sees her in there and she's praying from her heart. Her lips aren't moving, but we see everything she's praying. He thinks she's drunk just to get a picture of the scene. And so he goes, I'm gonna interrupt this drunken uh, nonsense. And he goes up there and says, put your drink away. And she says, no, I'm praying from my, in my spirit, I'm broken. Um, don't look at me as a worthless woman, she says. 
she's making a war statement. Part of her worship, she understands she is worthy. This does not define her, right? God defines her. And I will not take this in and be deemed a worthless woman. Um, I am actually the opposite. I am a worthy woman. My words. So I press into there. She understands God and what he can do for her. Um, and we have to understand, as we get this snapshot, how many times do you guess that Hannah prayed this prayer? Do you think we just got, oh, got one, here it is. You think after years and years and years, she said, well, I guess I'll pray this time. Isn't it a fair guess that she prayed this 20 times, many times? I, I think it's a fair guess, uh, looking at her faithfulness. I'm pressing to God in this dark night of the soul that lasts, lasting years. And it's cool. So Hannah's faith, we see, we see God's faith when they show up. Verse 17, look what Eli says. He says, go in peace. Uh, God will grant you your petition, your request. You know, and again, Eli being the high priest, uh, uh, God could speak to him, he can speak the words of God. So we have to hear this as not Eli speaking, but God speaking to her. Um, and that's affirmed even how Hannah and Samuel saw it, right? They understood this truth. So God, yes, the answer is yes this time. God is faithful. And I love what happens when God says yes to her. Uh, it says that she got up and she ate. She wasn't broken anymore. God spoke to her. He's going to do a miracle. And then said they, they went home. Uh, she was with her husband. She got pregnant. And she had a son named Samuel. And Samuel means ask of the Lord. Ask of the Lord. So his name becomes a, a legacy name for everybody. Is what do you do in a dark night of the soul? You ask of the Lord. And Hannah was faithful. You, you see verse 21, right? And that, right down to 28, what she does, she weans the child, she gets the child ready so he can be independent, different things. Um, I, I'm gonna guess he's about 10 years old because weaning meant different things than just weaning him off of a mother's feeding. Uh, there's other elements of helping him be independent. Um, and they do that, she, they go back to Shiloh. Um, she brings a, a, a few things to worship. Right. She's going to worship God. She's going to thank God. And these things are very expensive things. So you wonder, what are these things? And they look like they're different elements of aspects of offerings you provide. Uh, and she's going up there and she's going to worship. She's going to thank God. And she says, Eli, you remember me? Here he is. I'm going to keep my commitment. Hannah, her faithfulness is on display here. Here he is. I'm going to lend him to the Lord. I'm going to dedicate him. He's the dedicated one. Samuel, the son. And I want you to understand just a little bit of asterisk here. Is, um, uh, she, it's not like she didn't love him, right? I used to, when I first was in the Christian faith and I heard this story, I was like, this is horrible. Just dropping your kid off and taking off. Um, it, it's not that scene. Um, you'll, you'll see a little later if, if you read in the second chapter, she, they actually keep, go up there. 
it's only 15 miles away, just so you know, it's not like, you know, very far. Um, and they would do the annual uh, uh, festival, so she would see and talk to him. You can see Eli talking to him. She brought him a robe. This is a, like your college kid, the little care package you send and give him, right? right? Same thing. Now, I believe this. When she dropped him off, um, I'm looking at the Kennedy right now, because we, we've done this in recent years, where you drop your kid off at college, and you have to drive home. Oh, I believe Hannah did that. I mean, she wept. She cried. No, uh, you know, I think she did all of that. She loved Samuel, right? She loved him. She led him to the Lord, lent him to say, God, you do your great work as you did in me through him, right? Because uh, you were gonna see he has great, incredible things. So how do we get through a dark, dark night of the soul, right? Walk by faith. You gotta know you're here, a place only God. And just a little secret, that's every place just so you know, uh, only God. And then you gotta go with God. Go to him, be with him, hear from him, so that God can do what only God can do, giving you confidence, giving you wisdom, giving you peace, only God. And so we land uh, today's message in this last section. What happens with all this, with Hannah's faith, dedicated of Samuel, um, his, a people's foundation is set. A people's foundation is set. Um, and in the uh, second chapter, verses one through 10, there is a song or prayer by Hannah, right? Um, uh, you can read it some other time, but here's the thing of what she is doing here. Um, and, and I'll start you actually right after in verse 12, if you're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Eli, the priest, sons were worthless. Right? It's just a, a statement for you to understand how bad the spiritual foundation was. It was not ready to receive the greatest king the earth would ever know until Jesus came. A king that will prepare the way for all created people for salvation. The foundation was not there. And Hannah's faith, Samuel's faith, is how he sets the foundation. You start seeing this young man worship the Lord. Verse 11, I love it. If you read that close, he's there with the high priest Eli. Uh, who's he serving? Who's he worshiping? the Lord. He's there with him, showing him some practical things, I'm sure, but it's the Lord his eyes are focused on. The foundation is being set for David, for us, for all mankind. It's a big foundation. And Hannah, if you look at verse 10 there, she's just, I mean, this whole prayer of Hannah is, is praising what he did in her life, and then she starts speaking prophetically about what God's gonna do through this moment of faith. Uh, she makes references to uh, Saul, which you'll learn about next week, to King David, ultimately to Jesus. To Jesus, the anointed one, those last words in verse 10. God sets the foundation through a woman's faith. So what's our next steps? What do we do with this? Uh, well, the first thing in this story is about faith and faithfulness. It starts with faith. For us, we get to do that through Jesus Christ, right? This anointed one. 
that this foundation is being set, we get to live in that foundation. It's about Jesus. Uh, and we have to have faith in him and his work and his promises, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then our faithfulness has to meet God's faithfulness because that's what he does. He meets faithfulness with faithfulness, Scripture tells us. That is stepping toward him, going toward him so that we can be with him, so we can hear from him, so that he can do what only he can do. And he'll do that. So I want to encourage you today, if there's anything that stirred your heart in that, um, that you'd respond in prayer. And we're going to have a, a special prayer time here in a few minutes. I encourage you to come up. But what I can't do today, I can't just fly by the backdrop that this story of faith is set in. A woman who's infertile. Um, there is so much pain. There is so much hope around this topic that I think it would be um, a disservice of me and actually spiritually wrong not to stop and say we have to set in this moment. And understand we set in the moment as someone who can't have t- children. Um, and I knew this this much. I know this this much uh, from this week. Many of you have come and talked to me. Many of you are probably watching online because you can't be in this room today. For some of you that will only hear I say this because you couldn't even listen because the waiting has been so painful, so much heartbreak. The sense of have I been abandoned is real. Some of you just yesterday, um, a young lady I told you about, if you remember, who had a 38-week stillbirth. They did the funeral and celebration of life yesterday. That's real. When you talk about that, that is real. Some of you have those stories. Some of you have failed adoption stories. You got this close. Your heart fell in love with this child and it didn't go through. These are real pains. There's real excitement. Some of you say, I remember praying for a child. We couldn't have a child. And then I got pregnant X number of years later, praise God. I want to carry all of that today. I know the spectrum's wide, but as believers in Jesus and people of faith, we can carry that today together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite a a dear, dear friend of mine, uh, Sam Milbrook, to come up and just share her story. Uh, And then after that, I'm going to lead us in just a time for her. Sam, will you come share with us? Good morning. Well, as many of you know, Mark and I have been part of North Shore for now over 30 years. We were married in 1991 and launched into ministry, busy life of ministry. But a few years after we got married, we're like, let's start a family. And it, that started years month after month after month after month of sadness and prayer and hope and belief and um, despair and all of the above, right? Um, But we had our son Jordan in 1999. So the story is not so much about that first um, journey with infertility. 
Um, but I'm going to tell you the story about the second part. So um, we shortly thereafter tried to have another baby. And um, when Jordan was two, um, we had a miscarriage at 13 weeks. I joined that silent sorority that I know many of you are part of. Um, and so my, my heart at this time is done. I'm done. I'm done asking. Um, there was part of me, you know, being in full-time ministry, you got to keep it, right, keep the face up. So I got to protect God's reputation. We can't let people think that a loving God would not answer prayer. So what, what's the face? The face is God's got a wonderful plan for my life, and I'm just going to 100% believe that right? So you see the struggle in my heart. So even if my story isn't your story, and your story isn't the story of the the person next to you, there's the underlying parts that Scott was talking about, like how do we journey in this dark night of the soul? Those places that are too hard to even let ourselves lean into. I think I just came to mind the, um, the story of Moses and the burning bush. You know, that passage actually says, God noticed that Moses had turned aside to notice the bush. So there is an intimacy that comes when we let our hearts really turn to God and say, what are you doing and how do you want to meet me in this place? That is universal. So then let me, I'll, I'll share our, our, our secondary story. So we had decided, we had, before we even got married, talked about adoption. So we had started the process to adopt. And um, that, so that was late in 2002. And then January 2003, I out of the blue get a call from a gal named Susan Anderson Susan had been part of North Shore. We knew each other. I would say we were strong acquaintances, um, but it was odd to get a phone call from her. So um, she said, Sam, so hey, I just want to let you know that we're going to have a service where we're praying for couples who have struggled with infertility. And I don't know your story at all, but all I know is God told me to call you. I said, oh, okay, well, great. We are in the process of adopting. I would love for you to pray for our adoption. Um, absolutely. When's the service? And then we went on. I told her more about our story of, you know, years and years and years of infertility and finally having Jordan and the miscarriage and, and agreed that we would come forward uh, that next Sunday. So we were sitting, the chairs were different, but we were sitting right about back there, right by the aisle, Time comes at the end of the service, and I'm like, Mark, I am not going up there. No way. It's too personal. I don't want to draw attention to us. Like, no. He's like, honey, we're literally arguing in whispers in the back of the church. I'm like, I am not going. He's like, we told her we would go forward. Okay. So I go up, and Susan beelines for us right here. She does not pray for our adoption. She prays that we would conceive a child. I don't know if I can get through this. I 
felt like all of the full weight of the disappointment with God, the simultaneously holding the belief that he could answer prayer and yet he wasn't, I felt like that all came out. And I, I'm a crier now. I wasn't a crier then. I, but I wept. And I felt like there was an intimacy with God that I was letting myself stop to turn aside to notice. And God noticed. So she prayed for us. Glad I put tissues in my pocket. <laughs> so she prayed for us, and um, and it was a moment. It was beautiful, and I um, kept doing the adoption paperwork. Uh, fast forward a month later, I'm sitting over there. Mark was preaching that weekend, and after the service, Susan, I, she was had been sitting right behind me, and so she said grabs my hand. She's like, how's it going? I'm like, great. We have our doctor's appointments this week to get our TB tests and our medical physicals signed off so we can get our whole dossier sent off to India for the adoption. She's like, no, 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 no. Sam, are you pregnant? I'm like, no. I mean, it's weird, right? It's odd. and, And yet there was something... And she hesitated, and then she said, "Um, I hesitate to tell you this, but during worship, I felt like God gave me a really clear picture of you walking hand in hand with a little girl. And I think that's your baby girl. That wasn't my theological bent to, you know, visions and prophecy, but there was a... there was a resonant hope in my heart. And, but again, Sunday afternoon, launch into the week, get the, you know, TB test, and I had to go get it read two days later. But that in-between day, I thought, I took a pregnancy test, and it was positive. So before I called my mom, I called Susan. And fast forward, Eliana Joy Mealbrecht was born on Susan's 40th birthday, that November 17th. And um, Eliana means, my God has answered. So, thanks. Yeah, beautiful story. so thank you for sharing that, Sam. And as we understand in these, these stories, um, there's those stories and beautiful stories and, and God is able, God can. There's other stories that that's not the answer, right? We don't know. And so um, a faith journey is a journey means we don't know what the conclusion answer is, right? And we walk in faith nonetheless. And that's what I want to invite you to. Um, and... God will speak in many ways, maybe in a, for a time like this, right? Uh, maybe he gives you wisdom, another path. Maybe he just gives you a peace that transcends all understanding. Maybe he just loves and cares for you in a painful journey. Um, 
but I think it is our responsibility and privilege to go to the Lord in prayer in these moments. Um, and so I want to invite, I've asked some people if they would pray up here. So uh, invite, if I invite you to pray, to come on up here um, and, and pray. I, I put some, uh, or next step, uh, little handouts there with pens. And my encouragement is you, um, um, if you're somebody who are praying for America, we would love to write your name down to follow up just to keep praying. I don't want this to be a one-time thing. And if there's another thing on your heart that you need prayer for, uh, as you, you know, God spoke to you during the message, please, please come forward. Um, so I'm gonna invite us just to stand together and we're gonna worship here, Josh will lead us. Um, and if God is inviting you to come in prayer, great, come up here. If he's inviting you to receive prayer right where you're at in the quietness of your own space, Wonderful. If you need to meet with someone privately after, come grab myself, one of us pastors, and we can talk. But what I pray right now, the Holy Spirit um, uh, would just reveal himself to you uh, and that he would bring a, a peace, a clarity, a healing, uh, a miracle as only he can bring in this moment. So if you're not in a place that you need prayer in these things, right from where we are. Would you make this song, this moment of prayer? Would you pray for those people? And there's some of you online right now that couldn't get, be in this building. I want you to know God sees you. We spiritually see you. We love you. We are praying for you as well. Let's go to him, church.